Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and read your word. Thank you um, for the chance to do that together. I pray that each of us would be ready to hear from you and you would help me as I speak to do so boldly and faithfully from your word. For your name's sake. Amen. Amen. So as we um, come towards the end of this passage of uh, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, uh, we started it back in chapter 13. And it's a relatively long conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And uh, so we're coming then to work out uh, the the end of how Jesus is going to send off before he then goes off um, and gets crucified. Um, And that goes all the way back to chapter 13, just after when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And John starts this chapter with, all these things I have told you. So Jesus is looking back then at all of those things. And he's explaining to the disciples why he has been saying all that he's been saying. He's just spent the last two chapters describing why he's leaving them. In chapter 13, verse 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. So Jesus deeply cares about his disciples. And he's wanting to get them ready so when he leaves, they will be prepared. What has he told them already? What has he been saying in these last couple of chapters? Part of me was tempted to ask uh, if any of you could remember what was in those last couple of chapters, but perhaps for my first sermon that's a bit forward. Um, So I'll give you my own little summary of the last couple of chapters, because I think it's really valuable for what we're about to look at. Jesus, after he tells them that he's going to be leaving them, he says that he's going to go and prepare a place for them. He tells them to abide in him, the true vine. He warns them that they will be hated um, because the world hated him. He's going to send the Holy Spirit as their advocate. And then in the passage that we had last Sunday, he tells the disciples that they were to testify of Jesus. And we also finished last week thinking that actually we also are those who should be testifying about Jesus to the world. So I want you to imagine if you were where the disciples were, If you had just heard Jesus say all of these things and you realised that Jesus was about to go, but he just told you that you need to abide in him, but he's leaving. You've just been told that you need to testify to the world about Jesus, but that the world hates Jesus and they're going to hate you for talking about Jesus. Perhaps it's not the most encouraging leaving speech you've ever heard, And perhaps Jesus could have given something better. Why did Jesus feel like this was what he needed to tell the disciples? Well, in verse 1 we see, All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. Jesus is warning his disciples to get ready for difficult times. And why does he warn them about this? What what things does he warn them about? In verse 2 we see that they will be put out of the synagogue. In fact, we see that in Acts chapter 26 and verse 11. Paul here is speaking and he says, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So this was Paul before he became a Christian. He went around and, and dragged the Christians out of the synagogue. So that came true, we see. And then that verse 2 in in John reads, 
In fact, the time is coming when anybody who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. So not only will they be dragged out of the synagogue, people who will try and kill them, and those people will think they're doing it for a good purpose. And again, we see in Acts, um, Stephen was stoned in just the first kind of seven chapters of Acts. So again, why is Jesus telling, this isn't getting any better, this sounds worse. Why is Jesus telling them these things? I think probably all of us have a, a kind of inkling of why Jesus is telling them. Because we kind of know that even though we don't like hearing that something bad is coming, it is better to know that it is coming and be ready for it than to be surprised. Uh, an example from my life uh, recently, most of you will know that uh, eight weeks ago I was in the UK where I grew up um, and I was moving over here to study at Moore. And people would tell me that um, when you come over, um, often it's the British people who come over and are not expecting anything to be different. They're just quite happy that it's just a bit sunnier. Um, those are the people that really struggle the most because they are the people that experience culture shock the worst. So I was told by some really wise people to say, be ready for that. Be, be ready to expect things to be different. And so having come over here, having been here for seven weeks, actually, I've not found it too difficult. And maybe more things will become more difficult as things get less uh, new to me. But the fact that I was ready for things to be hard, the things that have been hard, I've been more prepared for and I've found it less difficult. So Jesus is telling the disciples to expect difficulties. And in verse 4 we read, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Jesus is saying, look, they're going to come. Don't be discouraged when that happens. This is always going to be the way that things are. And the disciples' opposition was from respectable religious opposition. The leaders of the synagogue probably were the ones that dragged them out of the synagogue. Paul was a very well-renowned person uh, when he was called Saul and when he was dragging those people out of the synagogues. Does that seem unlikely to you now? Does that seem that our persecution is likely to come from the respectable religious leaders of our time? Because it shouldn't, because that's exactly what's happening. Actually, in the West, that's maybe one of the main ways in which we're getting persecuted, that people who show and put on that respectable front but don't agree with what the Bible teaches are trying to undermine and take those who do believe what the Bible teaches and take them out of positions of power. If you need an example of that, just look at the Church of England back from where I am and see how what a muddle they're in because people there um, are trying to take away from people who believe the Bible the opportunity to speak about the Bible. Then also being put to death for your faith. Perhaps that is something that most of us won't actually face. But across the world, there are millions of Christians who daily risk their lives to have a Bible in their house, to go to church, and that is a real danger for them. And if in here in Australia or back home for me in the UK, if those persecutions become in form more physical, we shouldn't be surprised because that's what Jesus warned us. But did Jesus leave his disciples alone? Did he tell them all of these things? And at least they now know about them so they can get ready for them themselves. Well, we already know that Jesus didn't leave them alone. He sent the Holy Spirit so that they would not be alone. And in the rest of these verses, 
Jesus explains why that is such a good thing. In verse 5, um, actually, Jesus says something that, if we remember chapter 13, might sound a little bit odd. If you read it with me, Jesus says in verse 5, But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Well, if you remember, actually, Peter asks that exact question back in chapter 13. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, they did ask that question. And Jesus gave them a bit of an answer to say that he was going and he was going to prepare a place and you know the way. But here, Jesus compares them not asking this question in verse 6 with, rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. The disciples have kind of almost forgotten already the fact that Jesus is going away and it's important for him to go away and they're just filled and, and important to do what he's going to do. But instead, they're filled with grief and sorrow that he's not going to be with them anymore. Jesus is saying, don't you remember that I have to go? Why aren't you focusing on the fact that I have to go? And yet instead, you're focusing on the fact that I won't be here. And this is why Jesus can say in verse 7, But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus really emphasises this. He says that it is good for me to go. And I think it's probably really easy for us to think, how how can that be true? Surely it would be better if Jesus was right here and he could talk to you rather than me. That probably is true, but um, it's better generally for Jesus to have gone away and for us to have the Holy Spirit. And I think if we don't understand what Jesus went to do, or if we don't understand what the Holy Spirit came to do, then maybe we will think like that. Maybe we think Jesus, it would be better for Jesus to be here. But remember, Jesus went away to die on the cross for our sins. He then rose again and ascended into heaven and then sended the Holy Spirit to us. We're not really told exactly why Jesus had to go into heaven before he sent the Holy Spirit to us. It's probably just a part of God's unfurling plan as he goes along, that Jesus died and rose again, paid the punishment for our sins, and the Holy Spirit came to fulfill the rest of God's plan on earth. At the very least, Jesus as a human being could be in one place at one time, whereas the Holy Spirit lives in everyone who is a Christian and speaks to all of us through his word. So how is it better that the Spirit comes? Well, that's one way, but Jesus also gives us two other ways in the rest of this passage. The first of which is that the Holy Spirit will convict, and the second will be that the Holy Spirit will speak. So let's look at the first one, the Holy Spirit will convict. Our um, translation here uses the phrase, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. But rather than prove the world to be in the wrong, I prefer convict the world, and that's what the ESV says. I think it's just a bit stronger and probably um, helps us to understand exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing here. He convicts the world of three things. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Most often when we think about the Holy Spirit, or at least when I think about the Holy Spirit, we think about what he does in the hearts of believers. The fact that we have God in our hearts. But here... The Holy Spirit is working in the world, which is uh, one way of talking about those who aren't Christians. So 
why do the disciples care about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world? Well, let's remember back to the last verse of last chapter, the last chapter. They are to testify, well, the penultimate verse, they are going to testify, yeah, the last verse, they must testify, for they have been with him for the beginning. The disciples' mission was to go and testify to the world about Jesus. That's what our mission is, to testify about Jesus to the world. So the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in the world is vitally important for us to realise what our mission and what our task on earth is. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of is sin. And verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. Sin ultimately is what separates us from God. And sin at its root is not believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world that that is true. That what they've been doing in their lives is taking away from Jesus' rightful place. They don't believe in him. And therefore they are sinning. The apostles were called to go and testify to the world that Jesus Christ was the saviour. And the Holy Spirit is the one that then convicts the people that that is true and that they are sinful if they don't believe that. Secondly, in verse 10, we read about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you cannot see me, where you can see me no longer. Jesus is leaving physically. He won't be on earth, and therefore he won't be that perfect example of a human being. He won't be that perfect example of righteousness on earth to be able to be pointed towards. So the Holy Spirit needs to be there to convince the world, to convict the world that Jesus was that perfect righteousness. He was the only person that didn't sin. And he was, therefore, the perfect standard that we've all fallen short of. And we all need that righteousness. Because we have sinned. Finally, we read in verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The prince of this world, or as we might say, the, the devil or Satan. Satan was defeated when Jesus died on the cross. But here, Jesus is looking forward to that time and saying that the Holy Spirit will convict the world that the prince of this world stands condemned. He's not dead. He's not completely removed yet, but his judgment has been passed. He's on death's row with no pa- very limited power on this world. He stands there ready to take his judgment when Jesus comes again. And actually, that's where all of us were, along with him, unless we accepted Jesus Christ's offer of righteousness. That is where the world stands, and that is what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to convict the world that that is where they stand in judgment, with the prince of the world. And that is where you stand if you're not a Christian. Because... If you don't have Jesus' righteousness, you are sinful and stand in God's judgment. But fortunately, Jesus did die and was righteous and offers that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So those three things, the Holy Spirit comes and often are the things that we think we need to convince people of so that they will become a Christian. Maybe we, when we're talking to people, oh, I need to show that they're, they're a sinner. I need to point out all the ways in which they do wrong. I need them to see that Jesus is God and good. And yes, 
We need to point them to Christ, but the Holy Spirit is the one who works in their hearts to convict them of their sin and ultimately save them through Christ Jesus. So those are the three things that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of. Then secondly, the Holy Spirit will speak. So these are the the final few verses from 12 to 15. In 12 we read, I have much more to say to you, but more than you can now bear. So Jesus is going away and allowing the disciples time to understand and appreciate everything that's happening. They will see Jesus die on the cross and they will understand more truly who he was. And then the Holy Spirit will come and speak truth to them. Verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. They can't bear all the truth now. They haven't seen Jesus fully on his death and resurrection. But once they have, and once the Holy Spirit comes, he will be the one who guides them in all truth, and they will understand who Jesus fully is. The Holy Spirit will also speak what Jesus wants them, him to tell the disciples. In verse 13, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And in verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus would have him say, and that is what the Father would have him say. The Godhead speaks all on the same page. They're not saying different things. The Holy Spirit isn't some subpar version of God, and we're having to make do with second best. They are all saying the same thing from the Father. And so us having the Holy Spirit means that we're guided in perfect truth. Jesus said the same about himself in chapter 8 of John, verse 28, when he said, when, the, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, i.e. when you've killed him, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. So the disciples are being given the very words of God. He is very God himself. The Holy Spirit is very God himself and will guide them in all truth. So how do we have those words? Well, the Bible is God's written word for us. And the New Testament is the collection of books written by the apostles and those close to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. We have the very words of God in this book. Isn't that just incredible that the God who created the whole universe wrote down these words so that we would have them forever to look at and to read. How easy it can be to read this book, to hear a bit read from it in on a Sunday and forget that actually these are the very words of God. So as the apostles were to take comfort that they had the words of God, we have them written down and we also are to depend on them. Also, we're to take comfort. The disciples were to take comfort that their task was to testify to the whole world about Jesus. That is our task as well. But we're to take comfort knowing that we have the spirit of truth with us at all times. Jesus, in Luke's Gospel, gave the disciples this encouragement. When you were brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you will defend yourself, how you will defend yourself, or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The disciples were encouraged that the Holy Spirit would help them in the time where they didn't know what to say. 
And also we read in Romans that Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we have the Spirit living inside of us, but we also have the words of God here. When we are weak, the Spirit helps us. When we read the words of God, the Spirit helps us to understand them and to apply them to our lives because these are the very words of God, written for us and helps us to proclaim them to the world. So, in conclusion, Jesus here is asking his disciples to expect persecution, expect hard times, and not be surprised, but be comforted to know that it is better that they have the Holy Spirit who will convict the world, help them in their proclamation of it, of Jesus Christ to the world, and it will be him who ultimately works in their lives. And that is the same for us. We are to remember that we have the word of God, and we are to testify to the world of Jesus Christ, but it is the Holy Spirit who will work through us and through his word to make disciples of all nations. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for sending your Spirit to be with us and that he will guide us in all truth. Help us to read your word, to live it out, and to testify to this whole world that you um, are almighty and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pray all of these things for your Son's name. Amen.